everyone, and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore in the games of Blizzard Entertainment. I'm your host, Joe Perez, one of many lore-focused people here at Blizzard Watch, and I've got my marvelous co-host who knows so much about uh, Warriors, and really, really, I think he's going to love today because we're, we're going to talk about how, how bad the Horde is. Matt Rossi. Yeah, let's get me in trouble right out the gate. Hi, everybody. <laughs> Well, I mean, it is a controversial topic for some folks, but even me as a, a horde loyalist, uh, I'm I'm okay with uh, the understanding that sometimes we are the bad guys. More often than not, we're the bad guys. But we're going to be talking about patch 8.3 spoiler, since it is going to be coming up at the time of this recording. It is a few days away. So if you are not here for spoilers, you have been warned, but the rest of this episode is going to contain a whole bunch of those. So, first thing we're going to talk about is, well, there's a peace treaty coming. And that, I mean, we, we talked about that a little bit, and we thought that there was something coming along those lines. But the Alliance and the Horde, the new Horde without Sylvanas, are looking to at least have a ceasefire for right now. And there's a lot of interesting things in there, uh, particularly the interaction between Anduin and Tehran, somebody who we haven't seen in a little bit since since the Darkshore events. She's been kind of m missing in action in the main storyline. But here we have an argument between the two of them where Anduin is telling all of his advisors and all of the people of the, the leadership of the Alliance, I know what's best. There's an armistice has been signed. Fourth War is over. And that's it. And Tyrande, understandably, is quite upset because she still wants vengeance for everything that Sylvanas did. I mean, she burned a tree, burned a city to the ground full of innocent people. Yeah, I can un and understand why Tyrande is, is just a little angry here. But what did you think of that interaction, Matt? I thought it pretty much went along the lines of what we've been saying for a while. Anduin has this real problem, and it's an understandable one. Uh, it's sort of the same problem Jaina had for a long time where they don't want to hear anything that is opposed to their argument. They're, they're idealists in that sense that their ideals are more important than other people's reality. When, and we saw this in before, in before the storm, when Anduin was going to have his, his meeting up in, uh, Arathi with the, uh, Forsaken and no amount of objection could stay him. And, to be fair, I mean, he wasn't exactly wrong. A lot of the things he was saying were accurate. But Anduin's idea of somebody has an objection to what I'm saying is to run over it. Now that he's king, he will just plain freaking ignore you. Oh, he, yeah, because he can. He's got the authority to yeah. do so. He doesn't have to listen and, to you. Yeah, and he doesn't. Uh, Gen, Gen's objections, you've completely ignored them. And, and in many ways, Gen was wrong. But now we're in a situation where, you know, Taranda's coming to him and saying, I'm not signing this. And he's like, you know, at one point he actually goes, Taranda, like he has the right to, to scold her. And he doesn't. He doesn't actually have any authority over Taranda. He may be king of Stormwind, but he's not in charge of the, of the, of the Night Elves. And it's fascinating because part of it is, you know, Gen, even, even Gen backs Taranda. Taranda's point is, okay, yeah, they say they want peace now. What happens the next time they decide they want war, which they've done twice now. Like yeah. they did it under Garage, and then they did it again under Sylvanas. What's to stop them from doing it again? And every time they do it, the Alliance loses out. The Alliance loses a city. The Alliance loses people. And Anduin's response to that is just, you know, I believe there are good people over there. And it's like, what difference does that make? What, what good do those good people do this time? Yeah, and, and I find the interesting thing, like, the shield he tries to hide behind, too, like, Anduin brings it up, he's like, there's no more war chief, and we'll get into that a little bit more later, but, like, he he seems to latch onto that, like, that that itself is the guarantee that he's right, because they no longer have somebody who has a title of war chief, and it's like, I, I mean, don't get me wrong, like I said, I'm I'm a horde loyalist, I, I love my hordes, my horde characters, but I don't disagree. What happens when they run out of resources or something else extra happens that pushes them to a weird point and somebody takes that mantle again? Somebody picks up War Chief, somebody gets elected War Chief, or whatever the case is. And like you said, like even Gen's taking Tehran's side because 
like we talked about this a while ago and you brought this up when Gen's people were outcast, where did they go? They, they went and lived with the night elves. If you were a, an Alliance player at any point in time from cataclysm on, well, until recently, there was an entire like subsection of Darnassus that was nothing but essentially Worgen Gilneans. And that wasn't Stormwind taking them in, even though, you know, Anduin liked, liked Gen. They weren't living in Stormwind. They were living with the Night Elves. They've always been closer to them than they have been the rest well, of I the mean, Alliance at this point. If you look at Gen's life story, and I'm not going to belabor it. I'll just, you know, hit the high notes. Uh, sealed the city away. Got invaded by the Forsaken. Sun got killed by Sylvanas. People were, you know, city was bombed with the plague and they were forced to abandon it. Um ran to Darnassus, tried, you know, tried to, you know, become part of the Alliance through Darnassus, through the help of the Night Elves, managed to finally get into the Alliance. Uh, Gen made a friendship with Varian Rin. Gen is then sends watch Varian Rin die. Has watched Dar- Darnassus get burned to the ground. Almost lost his wife. And, almost lost his wife. And is now in a position where he is the king of a people in exile from the place they were exiled to. They've yeah. now been double exiled. They've actually lost two homes. And it's like for Toronto and from Toronto's perspective, you know, what good was the Alliance when the Horde showed up at Darnassus? They, they weren't there. They didn't show up to help. They, and, and that may be unfair. You know, it's, it was a light, it was a lightning assault. The Alliance couldn't get there in time. That's all very possible. But nevertheless, they, you know, where was Anduin Rin when Darnassus was burning down? He yeah, was that... over in Stormwind. And it's and it's there's a thing that comes up later. After this confrontation, Tyrande talks to Chandris, who is like remember, Chandris is like Tyrande's daughter. Chandris was raised effectively by Tyrande. This is effectively her mother. But they're both ten thousand years old now. So Chandris doesn't talk to Tyrande like, you know, a little girl talking to a mommy. She talks to Tyrande like an adult talking to her adult parent. There, they have that relationship, and Chandra's is like, well, I don't think we can't afford to, you know, to just scoff at the alliance right now. They took our people in. I mean, when we lost our Nassus, they were the ones who we we evacuated to here, and Toronto's response was, "He's a fool," and he better hope the next time it isn't Stormwind the Horde comes for. With his, you know, with his peace treaty. And that's Toronto's perspective. Toronto's perspective is quite simple. The, the Horde has proved itself to be untrustworthy. And you can you can hold forth all the banes and all the thralls you want, but when somebody decides they want to take the Horde to war, the thralls and the banes are always elsewhere or conflicted. Or or hiding, or like you yeah. said. Like, I mean, when, where thralls was always, Thrall? Yeah, Thrall's off, you know, I'm going to have my family now. Great. So you can't be counted on when this when stuff gets bad. Bane's all, well, I serve the Horde. Okay, then you can't get you counted on to be a voice of reason. Because in the end, it doesn't matter. You know, very much like Anduin is trying to lead the Alliance by fiat, the Horde is always led by fiat in the past. Now, it doesn't mean... I'm not saying that the, the council thing won't work out. I'm saying from the perspective of Taronda, why would you listen? Why would you care? Anything they have to say. At this point in time, at this many years past the Third War... You know, we now just had what, what's now being called the Fourth War. It was called the War of Thorns for a while. Now it's being called the Fourth War. We just had the Fourth War, and the Horde did exactly what it wanted. And it, it was—it's it, just like it always is with the Horde. The Horde did what the hell it wanted until it started militarily losing, and then suddenly it sues for peace. The Horde is always willing to sue for peace once you beat the crap out of it. Yeah, I don't disagree. And from again, this is all from Toronto's perspective. Now, from the perspective of, say, a Thrall or a Bane, you could come up with a very different answer to these questions. And I certainly think certain members of the Alliance, like like Anduin, and to a lesser degree, like Jaina, are just just want to get out of this. Because this, let's be honest, this can turn into disaster. For one thing, we've got Nazoth running around loose. Mm-hmm. And that thing has to be dealt with. And it's we're barely going to be able to deal with it if the Alliance and the Horde are working somewhat together. We still have a a planet that we are currently living on that is in absolute shambles because it and, got and, stabbed yeah. with a giant sword. And it comes down to like to a certain degree, it comes down to the idea of, uh, um, you know, fu- what's the old thing from Star Trek? Only a fool fights in a burning house. Yep. 
you know, that, that idea of, yes, we, we have our grudges. Each side has their old aggressions, but neither, neither of us can afford to like stop. You know, if we don't join forces at the very least, we must not be working at cross purposes. We don't have to be friends and we don't have to form a joint army. We don't have to form the might of Kalimdor again for when things Sarfang's dead. Um, but we can't do what Garrosh did and attack while the other side is fighting our enemy. Mm-hmm. And that's real important. And I, I see that argument. And I do also, I think there's, to a degree, a lot of the more interesting story stuff is Horde side this time around. The Alliance stuff... It's interesting that Taranda tells Anduin to shove it, and it's interesting when when, when do you want to talk about when Taranda and talks to Shandris what they say? Yeah, so that, that that I wanted to go back to that at some point anyway because Shandris is almost rebuking Tarant, saying that you know she was speaking harshly to King Anduin, uh, and that the Kaldori can ill afford to shun the Alliance. They have provided aid and comfort to us in these dark times, and while that's true, it it struck me as a little bit odd that. Shandris isn't more enraged, if that makes sense. And and then we talked about this before. It, it bothered me even at the end where you go through the quests and you oust Sylvanas and Shandris is there. And she she's basically the night elf representative there. And that makes sense because Tyrande is is off doing Tyrande things and Malfurion has other things to worry about. But she seemed super chill. And as a horde player, it always weirded me out because she's one of the people you See, here's can the talk thing. to. You're making that mistake. You think she's there representing the Night Elves, but she's not. She's representing she's been herself. Part of, no, she's representing the Seventh Legion. She's been part yeah, of the Seventh Legion. She's been part of the War Table stuff from the the, the entire Alliance War campaign. Chandris has been a big part of it from the beginning, and I feel like Chandris is there's they're setting something up that I think is going to be very interesting, in that we've had Taranda and Malfurion as the de facto leaders of the Night Elves for a while, and there hasn't been anybody pushing against them since we've lost um, Staghelm. There hasn't been anybody who's like, no. And I think with Maiev getting put into a position of authority and with Chandris basically trying to be... Chandris is much more about cross-alliance stuff than she is the Night Elves at this point. And I think that's because Chandris has been the only one on the ground. Like, she's been in Feathermoon Stronghold on the ground, like, actually observing the situation. Actually working with other members of the alliance because that's who came through. Feathermoon Stronghold was a place where you know you're an alliance player and you're doing quests and you're at that level. You go through there, so she's seen other members of the alliance a lot more than Taranda or Malfurion so, have. Malfurion's been off being neutral, and Taranda's been you know being Taranda. I think Shandris is. I think we're we're going to see is in an expansion or two. Shandris is going to be much more of a straight up. We're not going to. I don't want to be led this way. I don't want to be led, you know, your way anymore. So let me let me ask you a question. And and this is taking these interactions in mind and what we know that Tyrande is going to be important in the story going forward in Shadowlands. Do you think they're setting up a replacement for Tyrande and Malfurion? That their story is going to be coming to a close. In you know, like you said, an expansion, or by, or let's say by the end of, of Shadowlands, do you think Chandris is going to be the one to step up and fill that gap? Do you think that they're laying the groundwork for that? Not exactly. I don't think they're going to get rid of Taranda or Malfurion. I just think there might come a time where Taranda and Malfurion don't lead the day-to-day operations of their people, and that. All, for that matter, that Chandris and Maiev would exist as foils to drive further stories. Like, you could have years of conflict where Taranda and Malfurion want to do one thing. Because, Malf- let's face it, for all the people talking about Malfurion eclipsing Taranda, Taranda is the one who tells Malfurion what to do, and always has been. Oh, yeah. She's in occasionally, charge. Occasionally, he says, no, we can't do that. And she's like, pardon me? Uh, which one of us is, is the leader here? Uh, you know, there's, so there's, there's going to be that. And then on the other side, there's going to be Chandris, who loves Taranda. Absolutely. This is her mother. She loves her. But who is a more tactically minded person? Because here's the thing. People used to make the point all the time, and I I used to agree with it, that Taranda has been around for 10,000 years. She should be much better tactically than you see her being. The fact is, Taranda has always been a shit tactician. Well, she's, it's more, I think she's also more a priest, right? She's more, she's not. She's a priest, and that's fine. Absolutely. But here's the thing. Toronto's great at inspiring people. 
Tronda is a, is a good at leading her people in a direction once it's been decided. But if you look at how she makes decisions, just, just go back to Warcraft three. Uh, right, we're going to have to let Illidan out. Uh, no, that's bad. Remember everybody said you and Malfurion and everybody, we're not going to just let him out. Then you die. She's not patient. She's not a forward thinker. She doesn't just, you know, she knows that, that Malfurion won't go along with her idea. And so instead of getting Malfurion to agree with her, instead of waiting for Maiev to show up once once she's decided she's going to do this, she just offs the Sentinels and gets him out. Because she's decided unilaterally. And she's very much like Anduin that way. She makes a unilateral decision, she doesn't consult anyone, and she rams it through. And that's what we're seeing now with the Night Elves. And part of that's the, the whole idea of, you know, why did Elune let this happen? which I think we're going to find out in Shadowlands, Elune had other stuff going on. Yep. Uh, but, and it's also, I mean, there's so much to talk about with it that I, I'm kind of choking up here trying to think of exactly how to go on it. But I definitely think in the future we're going to have, see Chandris and Taronda at loggerheads. So, uh, and I think this is going to be part of it, is the fact that Chandris, Chandris thinks that the, the Alliance is much more important for the Night Elves than, say, than Taronda does. And keep in mind, Maiev is even further on the other side of that spectrum. Maiev didn't want to join the Alliance in the first place. She, in fact, they hadn't joined the Alliance yet when she left for Outland to catch Illidan. That was because that was during Warcraft three. The Night Elves were not in the Alliance yet. Mm -hmm. So that entire idea, you know, she, she killed people in Wolfhead over this, not just over the Alliance, but over the whole Night Elf mages thing, which I think at point this ship, that ship has sailed, but Maiev killed people over that. So, if not for the Legion and then the Horde attack, Maiev would be persona non grata. And it's only the fact that stuff got so bad that brought her back. So yeah, I think there's going to be Maiev on one side basically arguing for Night Elves going it alone. Night Elves doing stuff, you know, basically the furthest, hardest, you know, wedge of the axe. And Chandris is the one who's like, no, we need to cooperate with our allies. We need allies. We, we can't go it alone. Look what happened when we tried. So, so I think that's where we're going to see the conflict. Now, in here, on that that same going with that same thought, do you think that what we saw with the previous patches, with the previous war campaign stuff, where you can make divergent choices, at least on the horde side, um, with like supporting Sylvanas or supporting Sarfang, do you think something like that might start happening with it with more detail and more extreme choices or diversion with the alliance because? That's something, and correct me if I'm wrong, I didn't play a whole lot of the War Campaign Alliance side uh, this this year. You don't have a whole lot of diver. You don't have divergent choices. Yeah, none of really. that. Yeah. Nope, none of that. Do you think this okay. is going to be the start of that for, for that? Okay, do you want do you want like a completely honest answer? Sure. Because it's cynical. The writing team would have to care about the Alliance story for that to happen, and they don't. Well, and you want proof of that? You want proof of that? Go look at the past year and a half. A story that's... where an alliance city is burned to the ground, and what's the big ending? The orc. The orc's pain over what the orc, you know, the horde has done. The orc's redemption story. And it's like, you know, I get that you have a major character who you know you're going to kill off at the end of this, of this uh, expansion. You want to give him a big story. But you basically made the, the big alliance hero who's on the, the box art into his caddy, where it's like, here, have my daddy's sword. Um, yeah. No, I'm sorry, guys. And you know I love World of Warcraft, and I love the story team. And I've said on a hundred occasions how amazing the work they're doing is and, and how deep the storytelling is this time around. And I believe all that. But I really do believe they need some, some – at some point they need to stop and say, we need to do an expansion where we don't focus – on these horde figures we need to do an expansion where we have like they've got all the pieces in place now you could do a great thing where it's mostly you know what do these alliance figures do for just one expansion dare to do that and until i see it happen i'm not going to count on it and that and that's it's fair that simple but what, what i'm seeing here and we'll move on to the, some of the horde stuff because this will loop back to that a little bit too but it looks to me as a horde player it's almost like Yes, this this expansion was definitely all about the Horde storyline and everything that was happening Horde side. And I will definitely agree that I think we got the the better draw as far as story goes. But it seems like it's winding down. And even the stuff in the next patch 
it seems like even further that stuff is sort of winding down because we're we lost our fang sylvanas is gone like and everybody that's left behind like there's some interesting things going on but it's not that same level of conflict that's not that same level of of gravitas that i think could be for the alliance and with the statement that you know Tehran is going to be more important i actually want to see shadowlands focus on that alliance side of that story what's happening there i want to see more of that because I, and i and i don't think that the i'm not as cynical i don't think that the the writers don't care excuse me don't care about the alliance story so much i just I don't think care that, is the right word i think they they just are I think the more interesting to them, or at least the more pertinent was the horror story this time around. But I think that time is coming to an end. And as a horror player, I'm okay with us having had our time focus on the Alliance. more. I want to see more of the Chandra's and Tehran stuff and the Gen stuff, because Gen is in that mix as well. And I want to see more of the Alliance stuff. I want to see more of Anduin growing up because that's something we talked about too. And it's not just, you know, Anduin. Yeah. He's a man. Now he's a King. But like you said, just like Jaina, he has that that sort of idealistic you know, outlook that makes him so sure of everything. I'd like to see him grow. I'd like to see him have interactions that make him better. I, I, better is not really the right word, but I guess less than a one note character because that's what he is in the story right now. He's just like you said. Even with the big story moment, the big crescendo, it was he was playing caddy to Sarfang. He was letting Sarfang have his moment. Anduin really hasn't had his moment. And I'm not talking about just like beyond that cinematic where he did that mass res and that huge bubble of protection. That was yeah, cool. That's also that's the thing about this expansion too. Um the story looked like it was gonna be much more balanced. Yes. Both from the cinematic and and from like the first patch. And I'd say even through patch eight point two the story felt like it would be very much more balanced and I was fine with it. Patch 8.3 is coming soon, but it was 8.25 that basically just sort of ended everything. It, it ended very quickly. And I was like, what just happened? Like, how did it end so fast? You know what I'm saying? Like yeah, there it, was... it seemed like it wrapped up pretty quick. Yeah. And the way it ended on the one hand, it was very rousing. Uh, it was very, I mean, I, I don't know anyone who, especially the, the, both of the Sorfang cinematics at the end for, for 825, they're both very good. And I, I mean, just, just viewing them as story pieces, they're very good. Um, but I, I am not, the, I'm not one of the people who feels like this was a retread. I don't feel like this was a retread of Mr. Pandaria, but it was a situation where once again, the story was very heavily focused on one faction. Mm-hmm. And that faction was the Horde. When there is an expansion that focuses on the lore of the game, time in and time out, it is a Horde-focused expansion. Warlords of Draenor, Horde-focused. Mists of Pandaria, Horde-focused. This expansion, Horde-focused. And it, there's just no way around it. There's no way to pretend otherwise. And that doesn't mean they're not good or well done. Um, I think Sarfang's End was pretty freaking moving. And there's a lot to it. But at the end of the day, it is an expansion where it opens with a, with a horde member burning down Teldrassil. And then the entire expansion's focus is on how the horde feels about that act. Versus the Alliance, who actually yeah. suffered the tragedy. Yeah, no. The Alliance are the ones whose house got burned down. To, and I've, I've coined the term orc pain, and I've used it before. Like, I, I, it's great that you feel bad, Sarfang, but what about the people you killed? Uh, what about their family and friends? And it's like, you could even have told that story Horde focus because you've got the undead night elves that are now serving the Horde. You didn't even really focus on them. What are they, you know, the ones that, that Sylvanas raised, the ones that felt betrayed and actually joined the Horde. What are they thinking? What's going through their head now that, you know what I mean? Like even that, and we should talk about that actually because that gets mentioned. Yeah, we're, we're going to get to that in a, in a little bit because that is something that is actually starting to come up. But we're going to, Switch to the Horde for a little bit, even though, you know, we're talking about the Horde focus. But in particular, there is no more Warchief. We mentioned that before. Uh, the Horde has decided on a council style of leadership. And it is going to include Bane coming back, uh, but also Thrall. 
uh, he refuses to be a war chief. He, you know, he's he's flat out says, no, it's it's not. We're not at war. We can't have peace if we have a war chief. We can't have we can't move on, essentially. And there's truth in that statement. And we've talked about that before, too, where that title alone, it's a different mindset. And the fact that it was kept for so long is is counter to what Thrall and Vol'jin and Bane really wanted. So now they're going to a council style, and, and it looks like every major faction leader is going to be sitting upon that council, which, okay, that's great. And we have an interesting conversation between uh, Lothamar and Bane about that specific thing, as well as Thrall, where they talk about that and how it's time to move on. The Horde has changed. The Horde ranks have grown. There are new voices talking about like the allied races. Uh, this is what makes us strong. This is what makes us build a future together. And now we have Rokan stepping up as well. And I will say, in the replace of Vol'jin, Rokan is a good character to have sort of take up that mantle. And it's because of all of the Horde characters, I think he has the most humility. He's the most that says, I don't deserve this, but I'm going to do the best I can for my people. I will be their voice. And that's what starts moving forward there. The other interesting thing that I thought was the conversation between Lothamar and the first Arcanist, which there seems to be some romantic intentions there, which that came out of left field for me. But yeah, I, I, I don't think it's necessarily I didn't find it that jarring. I mean, the Lister doesn't have, you know, the Lister doesn't have any romantic partner in question. There's nobody in the picture and it's not like it. I can see, you know, they they have a lot in common with the Blood Elves, so they do. I can see be some interest there. Um, but honestly, I felt like it was fan service, and that's fine. It's fine to give fans what they want. It's fine yeah. to make people happy uh, when you can and when it doesn't hurt anything. So I, I I wasn't shocked by that, but at the same time, I didn't care either. I was more interested in. I'm interested in the fact that the the Blood Elves and the the Night Elves are. I don't know. They tried to do a thing this expansion where they tried to make the the Void Elves super important. You know, like like look, they've won the war for the Alliance. Essentially, their their ability to go through. Look how important they are. And they they tried to do that, but in the end of the day, the Void Elves are like what maybe fifty people. Like there just weren't that many of them, <laughs> you know. Whereas the the Night Elves are an entire city. It's there's it's a huge influx of people. The uh, in both in in the cases of the of the horde allied races that came in at the end of Legion, both of them were large populations. They were the High Mountain Tauren and the and the Night Elves of Suramar. In both cases, they brought an entire city slash nation of people with them to join the horde. Uh, and the Maghar did it again, as as did the you know the um, Zandalari trolls. Uh, it's big populations are joining the horde, and I think they're doing an interesting thing with the whole idea of the horde council, in that they're they're saying, you know, the horde isn't just these these hard scrabble misfits anymore. Whole nations have joined it. Yep. And those allied races, like there's, I mean, the the, Vol, the Voldoon don't really the, the Volpera don't count. Um, they're you know they're just they're a bunch of guys. They're a bunch of people from the from the the desert. They're not they're a nomadic tribe. They're much more like what used to join the Horde all the time. Um, but with the other allied races, uh, the Zandalar, the... Um, oh, bloody heck. The Zandalar, the the Maghar, the, 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 the Night Elves, and the High Mountain are all large populations. That's a lot, you know, that's that's a huge, sudden, in a very cosmopolitan group uh, with both the High Mountain and the, Night, the Nightborn have their own societies yep they have full they're, full city yeah. full government full everything like yeah and it, it's it's easy to forget that about the high mountain but the high mountain you could argue the high mountain have a more sophisticated way of life than than just you know bane's tauren the 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 the, the tauren led by the blood hoof are recently new to cities you know they they built they had the idea that they built thunder bluff within the past 10 years you know not 10 years at this point, I don't know how long it's been, but 
it was four years since the third war when the beginning of Warcraft, uh, World of Warcraft. And that's, you know, Thunder, Thunder Bluff went up in that time between Warcraft 3 and, and, and World of Warcraft. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's not been that long. Bane can remember a life when they weren't, they didn't have it. They, they were like going from settlement to settlement. They weren't living in a large city. They didn't have villages to speak of. Whereas the, the High Mountain have had that place for generations so and, they're more sophisticated than the, the regular Torn are, at least in terms of culture. And, They've and been living together in the, those groups for like quite some time. And that's kind of why I think like when I made the statement of like the Horde story is sort of winding down, I don't mean that it's done, done, but like they're reaching a point of stability. And I think that it's because of things like this. It's these nations joining that have these these sophisticated societies, you know, even the Torn who have set down roots everything feels like it's finally settling in. And I don't want to say on parity with the Alliance, but it almost feels like the roles are reversing where the Horde is starting to become more established and have that, that point where they can be sort of stable and that's it for at least a little while. But then you look at the Alliance side and it's almost the exact opposite. The, the folks that are joining the Alliance are displaced people now when before it was nations, the mechanomes, we just went through essentially a civil war with the mechano the, the mechanomes, like clearing out that city, purging their leader and, you know, taking back that Island. That's their rebuilding. You have, uh, the void elves. They're not exactly, you know, they're not blood elves. They're not night elves. They're not high elves. They're something completely different, but they're also sort of outcasts from their own people. You have, the the night elves which are we just talked about their entire home their their major city their people are completely in disarray and then you have the worgen who are twice displaced who besides the humans the dwarves and the gnomes most everybody else in the alliance is is refugees at this point or sort of i don't want to say nomadic but they're they're the, the ragamuffins that are joining this bigger group at this point whether well, or, I mean, or or in the bigger group, but no longer having that sort of stability. Let's let's not forget that there's a lot you could do a lot with the idea of like the horde trying to deal with the fact that a it's just lost its established way of leadership, sure. and b these new groups are coming in and they they wield a lot of power. Like the, the, when the blood elves joined, they had to kind of grovel a bit. They had to like you know placate Solanus and they had to placate Garrosh. Uh, I know when they first joined, it was actually thrall, but you know what I'm saying? They, they had to like, you know, they had to make nice to get in and then they were watched for a long time to the point where they actually thought about leaving. Like there was actual contact between Varian and, uh, Oh, bloody heck. Uh, thank you. Lothamar. There was actual contact with the two of them. He, he was, they were broaching the subject. They were having the conversation. Whereas the Nightborn joined and they're like immediately because of it. And it's absolutely the blood elves you know, doing this, the blood elves are the one who ease the way in for them. But at the same time, they're coming in with established spellcasting power on a level even the blood elves can't match. Like Thalysra knows more about magic than Ramath, a lot more. Yep. And the fact that she couldn't, the only person that she so far has failed to be able to overwhelm is Jaina and Ashara. And when Jaina when Jaina showed up in Stormwind at the beginning of this expansion, even Thalysra couldn't stop her. That's because Jaina just has that much natural talent. Jaina's just that good. Um, but, but, you know, it's one of the reasons that the, the High Elves were kind of leery to teach humans magic, because it seems like we can tap into that whole Titan connection, and we're really good magicians, despite not being very old. Uh, Jaina's extremely powerful. But the Lyssa is, you know, she just plain old knows more magic than anybody. So she's immediately brought her people in and they're very magically potent. So you've, you've, they're automatically higher up on the totem pole than they might otherwise be. The high mountain have a similar connection with the Torrin where Bane is, has put himself out to get them in. And Mela, Mela doesn't have to take anything. Correct. It's, you know, it's not like, you know, if Sylvanas had ever pushed them, the high mountain could have pulled out for one thing. They've got one of the pillars of creation. A pretty powerful one too. Like yeah. it's still intact. That that hammer of Kargaroth yeah. is not yeah, a joke. Could, they could do. They can do a lot of damage. Plus, I mean, they're Torin. They're a whole nation of Torin. There's thousands of them, 
And you know, Bane is probably not going to lead his Torrent into combat with them. So, you know, there's... You could do a lot with the idea of the Horde suddenly having to grapple with the idea of of these new factions within it that want to place the table. They want a voice in what the Horde does. And if you're trying to give them all a voice, what happens to, say, the Darkspear? Mm-hmm. Like the Darkspear don't really have the power in the Horde. They, they, were, they were so easily pushed to the side that, you know, Garrosh did it. And they only, you know, they, you know... Vol'jin didn't become Warchief because the Dark Spear are so powerful that everybody thought he should be. He got in because he's a personal friend of Thrall, and Thrall was like, yeah, it's absolutely going to be him. And everybody was like, well, all right. You know? And I'm not dogging on Vol'jin. I'm just saying it wasn't through his political connections or the power of his power base. It was through his leadership and his, you know, it was more the people who were in charge of the Horde that he knew than it was... I can look at I can look back on my my supporters and and they'll demand my 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 rise. If you had a situation in the horde where you have like say the the nightborn are now very powerful and the nightborn are demanding like say say you have the nightborn suddenly saying we want the lister to have more of a say. They could. Yeah, they could. They absolutely could. And you could tell definitely tell this is why I don't think it's winding down and this is my fear is that we're going to see a ton of focus on this stuff. In, but then again, we have Shadowlands coming up, and that's the issue. How much focus is either faction going to see in the wake of Shadowlands? We could be looking at another, uh, you know, Warlords of, of Draenor here, where the story was clearly more on one side than the other, but it didn't really focus on either actual faction. It was on the history of Faction A, the Horde, but it wasn't a Horde expansion, if that makes sense. Because yeah. it wasn't their history, really. It was the history of people who looked and acted just like their former leaders, but who weren't. It was it was a Marvel what if comic, essentially. So yeah, but in in, in to that point, I definitely agree because there's some more stuff with the horde going on too that we haven't even talked about, uh, in particularly with the Forsaken, and we we've talked about this in the past where Kalia Menethil is the obvious choice to start taking over the Forsaken. Well. In 8.3, we actually start getting the the seeds. In, they're starting to sprout for that, so to speak. We have the initial conversation with uh, Kalia and Derek uh, in Kaltiris with Jaina, uh, who says that she's received a summons or an outreach from Lillian Voss, uh, and she's going to go talk with her and this conversation is, is it's short, at least from what I saw from the Alliance side where, you know, Kalia and Jaina say we're going to miss each other. And Derek says, well, I'm going with Kalia. She's saved me from the madness that I was, you know, tortured and, and everything that happened with me. And if I can go with her and help, I'm going to go with her and help. I'm not, I'm Kul'tiran, but not really anymore. And I thought that was sort of, I don't want to say a foregone conclusion. We kind of expected that to a certain point. But I think the tenderness that Jaina showed at that point was good because it was the thing where she understood. She understands that metamorphosis. She understands becoming something different than what you were because that's literally what happened to her this entire expansion between, well, actually from Wrath of the Lich King all the way to now, she's been evolving and changing as a character. So that that sort of tender moment of I'm going to miss you, I'm going to miss you, brother, go and do what you got to do. And I thought that was kind of a, a good moment, at least there. What do you think of that conversation? I, I mean, I, I thought it was fine. Um, I also felt like it was a little bit of a... I honestly want to talk more about the, the actual, the Lillian Voss aspect of this. Sure, we can go right into that. Because Lillian, Lillian Voss has been a character who's been around since Cataclysm. Um, and she's been sort of, I, you know, I hate the undead. I'm not an undead to, I guess I am an undead to, uh, okay, I'll, I'll actually join the horde and work for them because at least this is the only people I have to, okay. Sylvanas is obviously unreliable. She's, she's left. She's done what she did. And it's now my responsibility to pick up the pieces. And there's this really interesting shift where Lillian Voss is very much, I don't want to. I don't just want to say she's someone to watch because I feel like at that point that that ship has sailed. She's been someone to watch for a while, 
but she's got a really interesting mentality where she says, I would speak for my people, but I won't like, I'll speak on behalf of my people, but I will not speak for them. She doesn't want to be their leader. She doesn't want to tell them what to do, but she's very keen on finding somebody else to put in the position of telling them what to do. Somebody and who's then, not going to be awful. <laughs> then she'll be in the background. It's almost like there's a really interesting like correlation where Voss wants to be a kingmaker or a queenmaker, whatever you want to call it, but also reserves the right to take that king or queen out in a way that she wasn't with Sylvanas because she couldn't be. Like she, Sylvanas was too entrenched and too powerful, and she, Sylvanas had to destroy herself. Nobody else could do it for her. Yeah, I agree with that. But but Voss, by by reaching out to Kalia Menethil, she's definitely taking the steps of finding someone to do all the stuff like. Voss understands her role. Ross understands that she is basically the shadow and she needs someone else to be the sun. It's, it's almost like she, the, the Matthias Shaw of. People, yeah. So I, to speak. I didn't want to say Matthias Shaw, but yeah, that's definitely, that's a good way to look at it. I, um, I think it's the closest we can get to like an analogous uh, personality really. Yeah. I, in that Voss understands that somebody has to be doing the dirty work. Someone has to do the Scott work. Someone has to, you know, what, what's the old saying? You know, you, you can't, you, somebody has to clean the floors. Yeah. But absolutely, they need a leader and they need an inspirational figure. And Kalia can be that inspirational figure. She can replace, because Sylvanas was a cult figure in a lot of ways. The Forsaken, becoming a Forsaken is inherently traumatizing. And Voss knows that better than anybody because when she first woke up, she was utterly traumatized. And... When she talks to Derek, you see it. There's that you, you, the interchange with Derek. I mean, Let, I, yeah, I know let's, I, you know, let's go over that real quick, just so the people the people listening can kind of get an idea of it. Uh, it's Lillian actually turns to Derek and says, "Lord Proudmore, you should know that I played a part in the events that led to your own death. I regret much of what has happened. I didn't know at first. Once I did, I should have stopped it. Bane blood have showed the courage I lacked. I." could if i could change the past i would so like she's she's cognizant of what happened because she went through that trauma just like you said she you know she went through all the stages of grief and and like some some of the the weirdest and best moments that we've had from you know this masked avenger that we first meet her to you know her being mind controlled to her finding herself again to this moment and it, it it's an entirely it's it's a tender moment, but it's a telling moment of of who she is or what she thinks. Yeah, I, I definitely think that there's a lot to that. I think that in general, Voss is becoming an interesting character because she, in a way, she reflects the Forsaken as as players come to them. Mm-hmm. Like you know, when you start playing as a Forsaken, you start like they haul you out of a grave and like you know, congratulations, you're you're back, and you don't really necessarily get the whole tortured thing that people get. Like that's, you know, been part of the, the forsaken experience going back to Warcraft three. If you, if you roll a forsaken now, it's very much you're part of this weird cult that you, you know, you, you're just started from dark lady watch after you and all that stuff. And you kind of just, you're left to, to work it out for yourself. Like, what do you, what does this mean to you? And Voss's journey is the journey of someone who went from, absolutely rejecting it to begrudging acceptance of just her own personal issues to finally, no, I do have a people. I do have someone I'd have people other than myself to concern myself with. And that is the forsaken, the, the, the other undead, they are my people. And I think that's an interesting change. And to a certain degree, it's an interesting, it's a different way of, of being. And I think it's important because I think it adds more, more. I don't want to say depth, but it adds something to the Forsaken that I think hasn't been there for a number of years, right? Like, mm-hmm. they haven't really had that sense of cohesion, even under, you know, the, the Council of, of Desolation. I think that was it. Oh, the uh, Desolate Council. Desolate, Desolate Council, Council, excuse me. Yeah. Uh, even under the Desolate Council, it was still... While it was getting there, it was like steps towards that. It wasn't quite the same. The people, the people of the Forsaken, were just, for lack of a better term, 
felt like they were just reanimated and there and that was it. They were just arrows in a quiver. Here, they're starting to feel like they're starting to get an identity. And I think the other things that are important here, too, is is that that recognition that of Lillian that Kalia can help. Because from the Horde side, you do quests where you're eavesdropping on the Alliance and you're eavesdropping particularly on Kalia. And it's an interesting event because you learn through that how she helped Derek, how she helped sort of break him out of whatever his despair and darkness was to bring him back to a semblance of his former self and start accepting his path and what he must do to move forward. And that's why this exchange is important because this is information Lillian has because you were doing this with her. So when she made that choice, it was deliberate. And during this exchange, it's not just Derek and Kalia and Lillian and you, but also those wardens, those those fallen night elves that were raised, that were so angry at being abandoned and angry at what happened, that they willingly accepted the the gift of undeath to become forsaken, they show up. Delarin is there. She's there. And Lillian saying, We want I want you to help them like you helped Derek. I want you to basically make them right again, or at least as right as they can be. And it's an interesting moment because even Kalia is like, she's taken back by this when she sees them. She's like, but you're, you're, you're Rangers. You're, you're what happened? Oh my goodness. And she immediately flips into, yes, come with me. I'm going to help you. And it's sort of this resolute moment where it's not just those people that she's wants to help. It's all of the forsaken. She's going to go back to them and she's going yeah, to try she to make has things that, right. She has that confrontation with Jaina when she's like, well, I'm leaving. Uh, I'm going, I'm not going to be back. And that's when Derek says, you mentioned this earlier, when Derek's like, I'm going with you too because I don't have anything here. This place isn't really my place. Um, and both of them are effectively, you know, when when Kalia says that to Jaina, she's, she's saying, she says to him, you know, these are my people. Uh, my father gave his life for them. I, I can't, I got to do, I have to do something. And that's something that's come up before that, you know, even when she was still alive, Kalia thought of the Forsaken as her people. Yeah, that was Not, a big, a big thing in the book. Like, yeah. So there's, there's a certain amount of this that is something that's been set up for a long time. So you, it's not that it's surprising necessarily, but it is interesting that uh, th- there's a level of it that has always been kind of there, and they're they're definitely working it now. Uh, Derek, I think to a certain degree, Derek is going to be the guy we were t- you were talking about before. Derek is going to be for for Kalia the the right hand, the one who you know yeah. he's sort of going to be like the much less creepy and annoying version of uh, Thanos. the Thanos Blake yep. Waller. Um, Straight up, the Thanos go die in a fire. I, I hate you. Um, so you know, hey, there you go. I, I just i i hated i've hated i've hated the Thanos for years. I like hating the Thanos, and I think the Thanos is great as a character to hate. Um, but I hate him. Oh, oh, I hate him. My Torn wanted to rip his his head off and poop down the neck. Um, I've hated that guy for years, and I really feel like he's earned it the past couple expansions. Uh, but yeah, there's there's a certain amount of, of what he can do uh, like outside of the shadows, but I definitely think Lillian Voss is going to be the one in the shadows, the, yeah. the Shaw figure or whatever you want to use it, the, 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 that character. And I, I, th- I think the important thing about that too, is because like you said, she's no longer pinned beneath Sylvanas, so to speak, that let's say somebody starts stepping out of line. Lillian Voss seems like the type of character that, probably would go for an assassination attempt and not think twice about it if it meant keeping things whole or at least stable. The other really interesting thing about this, though, for me is with Callie and Derek sort of taking over that role of Sylvanas and Nathanos for the Forsaken, the logical assumption is that they're going to sit on whatever the Horde Council is because I don't think the Alliance is ready, especially after everything that happened, to even go back to, no matter how much Anduin would love it, 
uh, to having any sort of relationship with the Forsaken. Not for a while. That 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 I think that ship is is gone. Uh, yeah, but I think the the personality of Kalia and Derek, who were Alliance, they were you know Alliance members. Even if they weren't actively there, they know how these people think. They know how the human kingdoms work. They know that history. What are they going to bring to the table in this new Horde Council? Are they going to be able to help direct it? And is that going to be the, the like you said, is that going to be the political clout that sort of, I don't want to say takes over, but starts influencing the rest of them? more than the others possibly could. Maybe not because they have the might of the Forsaken behind them, because we don't know what the, the fate of them is. There's no more Valkyr at this point to raise more Forsaken. Uh, we, we don't know how that's going to work out yet. I'm sure that'll be answered in Shadowlands. But, so it's not going to be from, like, this military might or this unending army, but is it because she knows how to navigate political encounters and has sort of that relationship with the Alliance already. She can go to Jaina. She can go to Jaina's mother. She can go to, you know, those folks and be sort of at a table of peace without fear of that same vitriol that, like, if a regular Forsaken had shown up. Is that going to give her more clout over the Horde Council? And will that shape it? I mean, we'll have to wait and see. Um, one of the things that I think we we, did, we won't see that for a while because... Kalia can't just show up in in Undercity and be like, "Hey, I'm I'm your queen now." So I think there will be a period of time where Kalia is, you know, attempting to help them, but they also she has to be accepted by them, and that's a pretty big deal. So what we'll see and what we won't see depends entirely on how long it takes for Kalia to establish herself in that position. Do you do you? But do you think that's going to be not as long as the time as it normally would? Because in Before the Storm, there's a lot of, of instant recognition of who she is with the Forsaken when she shows up and they, they see yeah, her. Yeah, but the people, the people that do that died. But I'm just they saying, do you think... They were on the Council and they died. I don't think that the average rank and file... It Maybe. It, it comes down to, will the average Forsaken remember? And will they be like, you know, oh, hey, it's Kalia... And not, you know, the, the, the sister of Arthas Menethil just showed up. Sure. You know, there's for all that there's some positive there, there's also the fact that her, her brother is the freaking Lich King. Or was. You know, whatever the case is. It was. <laughs> her brother is the Leech, was the Lich King. Her brother was the one, even before he was that Lich raised King, Lordaeron. Who, who came back to Lordaeron and killed his own father and tore the place to the ground. They had a lot of positive feelings towards his father, who is her father, so it's complicated. It could go either way. An individual member of the Forsaken could go either way. And remember, even Sylvanas wasn't completely beloved by all Forsaken. No, she was She was definitely Leonid, not. Leonid Bartholomew, for instance, just left. He was like, nope, she's, she's, out, she's like, you know, 12 eggs short of a, of a, of a dozen. I'm, I'm out of here. Uh, I'm going to go try and deal with this crisis using the, the, uh, the Argent Crusade. Not the Argent Crusade, the... Uh, was it the Argent Dawn? Yeah, it was the Argent, Argent Dawn. Dawn. Yeah, so there's there could be a lot of stuff happening. Uh, I don't think it's going to be as simple as Kalia and Derek show up and immediately Kalia is on the council and immediately Kalia is making moves. I think it will be a while, especially considering what we've got going on in Shadowlands, before the Forsaken are in a position to flex any muscles they might have. For one thing they're kind of torn up. Like there are, there are at least a few forsaken who are still hardcore Sylvanas and like, no. So they're going to have to do some internal purging. Yeah. There's going to be not just that. Some of them are going to lie about it. Yeah. And they're going to, they're going to hang out and there's going to be people who are, who are going to be presenting as, you know, we trusted Sylvanas and look where that, where that lend up. So it's now just going to trust you. Do you think that's where Lillian Voss is going to come in? I think the Voss is definitely going to have a role in getting her there. Um, I think to a degree, you know, it, it'll be interesting to watch how the Forsaken navigate this because the Forsaken have never actually had to make their own decisions. And the one time they did, when, when, when Sylvanas left to, to be in Orgrimmar, they tried to appoint a council. And it wasn't even appointed. Desolate Council basically happened just because the people with the most experience stepped up and started filling the roles. 
and ultimately got themselves perished by Sylvanas. Um, what's going to happen this time? I don't know. Uh, I don't. There's lots of ways it could go. You could easily do a story. That's the problem. One of the, I think one of the reasons that the Horde gets more focused sometimes is because it is so tempting. Yeah. Like I could sit here and tell you, like we could talk about this for 20 minutes and I could come up with like, you know, 20 different ideas for what to do with the Morsagan right now. Um, but that's not going to get the Alliance and the Night Elves their focus that they need. You know, it's not going to, I talk a lot about closure and I don't think you can have closure for an event like Darnassus. No, I don't think you can either. But that's the point. You need to actually have multiple, you need to go back to that well a few times because it is not something you can just, oh, and by the way, that tree we built got burned down. Or not burned down, but the city on top of it certainly did. Um, the people all died, and that's the important thing. There's, there's ways to do it cross-factional. Like one of the ways to do it is to focus on what happens to those night elves that, that died and were raised. Can they ever reestablish any kind of life like with their people? Can their people ever forgive them? Will you know? Will Tarand ever forgive them? Especially considering how Tarand is not in a forgiving place. Yeah, like, that's the whole thing. To go back to that, when Taranda is talking to Chandris, Taranda straight up says, "You know, I am I am not interested in this peace treaty, and I will not sign it." So off the top of the bat, the alliance is not fully committed to this peace treaty because at least one of the alliance nations is not a signatory. That's the, the night elves have not signed it. They are not at peace with the horde. Um, that's that's step one. Step two, she's like, I, I will I will consider no such thing until the banshee is dead. And she's like, we're going to go back to. It's it's flat out stated by her that we're going back to to Nordrasil, to to Mount Hyjal. Yep. And that implies that the the alliance, at least the the night elves, are now they now hold Mount Hyjal as where is their nation. They're holding it. They're there. It's theirs. They've taken it. And that, if you think about what that means, they are now directly above the Horde in Ashara. Oh, yeah. And from there, they're directly above Orgrimmar. They, they literally have the high ground. Yeah. And they're looking down on the world. Right now, she says, I'm going to send out the, the Sentinels from every, in every corner of the world until the Banshee is found. It's Sylvanas that she's focused on. But what happens after Shadowlands when Sylvanas is presumably dealt with? And I don't know how Sylvanas is going to be dealt with. But one assumes that Sylvanas is not going to be victorious and turn us all into like dead things. So Sylvanas will be dealt with one way or another. What happens then? What do the Night Elves do then? What does the Horde do with the Night Elves not at all considering themselves bound by any treaties and in a position to literally just rain rocks down on Horde territory. Like, remember, do you remember the, uh, going back now to Cataclysm, the cinematic where Thrall looked up at Hyjal and saw the wave of lava? Oh, come yes. Down? Oh, wow, yes. Now, I'm not saying they're going to do that, but the, the Druids of the Flame were very much of the opinion that the Horde should all be killed and that it was Taranda and Malfurion's fault that the Horde could firebomb you know, Alliance cities and kill Alliance members. Think about how much more popular that mindset would be right now. And since they're right there and the door to the elemental plane of fire is still there. I mean, who knows? Uh, but that's certainly something that could come up. It could be Toronto leading that now. Like imagine if, if Staghelm and Liara were still alive somehow, they Toronto would, would be like, yeah, you're in charge. Go kill him. Yeah, I totally agree. Burn, burn Orgrimmar to the ground. <laughs> well, I, I'm not saying, again, this is not me saying that this should happen, but it's just something to consider. Right now, that's where the Night Elves are. They're not in, they own. They hold Darkshore. Darkshore is theirs. They hold it. They, they drove the Forsaken out. Yep. Um, I don't know what the situation is in Astronar. Um, I don't know, like, where, you know, if they've reclaimed their, their territory in Ashendale. But I know that they hold Darkshore by military force. I know that they hold uh, Hyjal because that's where they are. So the Horde and the Horde lost. The Horde lost both of its major engagements this expansion. They did. Yes, they absolutely they did. Both war fronts. So the Horde and for those at home, that was canonical. They they flat out said that in interviews and at yeah. BlizzCon and multiple times. Yeah, the Horde lost both war fronts. So 
the Alliance pretty much holds the entirety of the Eastern Kingdoms with the exception of Silvermoon. And they're, they've got a good presence. I mean, saying the Alliance has a good presence in, in uh, Kalimdor seems disingenuous when we just went on about how the Blood the Night Elves don't care what the Alliance does anymore. But it's certainly not held by the Horde. The Horde came out of this losing territory. Um, yep. The only reason the Alliance don't have Lordaeron is because it's choked and unlivable. You know, there's a huge cloud of, of of plague in it. So yeah, I don't, I don't, I hope that we're looking at an expansion where Shadow Shadowlands is an expansion where both factions start moving towards a more equitable story distribution. And but there's so much that can be talked about. There's so much that can be dealt with that I'm honestly, I have no idea what it's going to be. Well, that's going to take us to our time for this episode. So. Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzardwatch. Your continued support means this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your questions answered on our podcast or the queue, and an ads-free site experience. Before I get to the final question of the day, I will say please get those questions in for us. Next week we're going to be answering uh, listener, reader, supporter questions so get them in at podcast at blizzardwatch.com or in our discord channel there is a separate channel specifically for that just make sure you tag it for lore watch if it's meant for here and we'll be more than happy to answer those so the final question that i have the final thought of today it seems like there's a lot that could be pulled on the alliance side we could have a split faction we could have a, a second like a guerrilla warfare and we could have the revival of some of our former enemies uh like you just brought up like the druids of the flame become a thing again of all those options if you had to pick one that you would like to see focused on early in shadowlands what would it be that's actually an interesting question um I think, uh, I don't know, really, this is a complicated question. I'm not sure I know how to answer it. Um, I I guess I'd like to see, like, one of the things I would really like to see is, I'm pretty sure Staghelm is dead. So Yeah. But Layara, the last we saw Layara, uh, Hamul showed up and and zapped her, and it was certainly implied that she was dead. But we never got confirmation. I I feel like the, there's enough wiggle room there that she could have survived and crawled out and like been horribly burned and we could see her now like and just have her come back and have her offer the druids of the flame to Malfurion and be like look you now you've seen maybe we went too far but you've seen what the horde is and you know and have them come to some kind of you know he wouldn't trust her because he is friends with Hamul but at the same time you know, the Horde did what they did to him. They did what they did to his home. So I think that there could be like a deal made or approachment of sorts. Uh, the other thing I've always wanted to see is I want to see the original Worgen come back. Yes. Because um, they're right now, they're like under, they're sleeping under a tree in, in the Emerald Dream. And you imagine unleashing them on the Horde? They're just like, they're rage monsters. They're giant rage monsters. Uh, and just imagine those guys, you know, they get woken up uh, and they get just turned on the horde. They're used as like, just like they were before. That's what they were in during the war, the war of the Emerald Flame. That's what, uh, oh, I can't remember her name, but the one that found the original site, the Valoon. That's what she was doing with them. She was pulling the, the Worgen forth to fight the demons. I'd love to see that happen again. I'd uh, love Vel- to see them come back. Yeah, Velen Starsong. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't think, yeah. So... Th- those are things I've been thinking about. Those, so, those two will do. I think they'll do. It's funny that you bring that up because that's exactly where I wanted to go too. And the reason I was thinking that is we've been focusing on Tyrant and she is definitely important. But Malfurion has shown two things in the past that I think could be pulled on that would be incredibly interesting. One, he is starting to get angry and destructive. And with good reason, with everything that happened. But he's starting to show not this neutrality anymore. He's starting to show that he's willing to go 
into action again, which is something that that was new for this expansion uh, as far as he's concerned. The other thing in the past is he's willing to go into, for lack of a better term, forbidden knowledge if it furthers his goals. And like you bring up, the original Worgen and the Druids of the Flame, those are very interesting things that could lead us to new Druids and could give us some very complicated storytelling from the Druid storyfront on the Alliance side through Malfurion. Because what if he starts diving into those different aspects, starts learning how to control the fire? Who, who made up the pack form that allowed the first Worgen to exist? Who invented that? Oh, what, wasn't that him? Yes. Malfurion yeah. invented the pack form. He then, in fact, he got so controlled by it that he attacked Cenarius. Yeah. And that's why he stopped using it, because he, he couldn't control it. But he invented it. So, I mean, it's not like he couldn't redo that. Like you said, go into the Emerald Dream, wake them up. Sure. Teach other druids how to tap into that. Absolutely. Especially yeah. now. I mean... Yeah. The way he... I mean, it kind of makes sense that with the, the planet literally bleeding and screaming, that druids would get meaner because their nature is, you know, part of that and that whole thing is happening. And we talked about the druids of flame, but imagine if you suddenly got druids of all four elements. And what if that became the back door into shamanism for night elves? Because we talked about how they don't we have did. a shamanic tradition. But imagine if you suddenly had a shamanic tradition that was druidic, where instead of ter- instead of their travel form being a ghost wolf, their travel form is just like a, a, a druid's travel form. What if and they tap into the elements through druidism? They tap they tap into them as parts of nature, as and, the building blocks of nature. And take it a step further. What if making the deal with those elements, doing it in almost the way that a shaman would? is what keeps them from going too far over the deep end. That That's what allows them to keep control. That the elements teach them, here's how you go to this point and don't cross it. Because that's something that the Firelands, we they, when you're doing the, the shaman quests, there's conversations about stuff like that. So I could see them tapping into those elements, like you said, that, that back door into night elf shamanism. But by doing that, elements take notice and go, okay, you're, you're doing something we didn't expect or didn't really see. And do you want to learn how to not wig out so much? I could see that being a thing. And that would, that could definitely bridge that gap. So there you go. From two episodes ago, we've, uh, we figured out how night elf shaman could be a thing. So with that, we're going to call it a day. Thank you very, very much. And we will see you next week. <laughs>